Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's officially begin. I'll open this up in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you bless us as we fellowship together. Help us, give us wisdom, uh, give us give us strength. Uh, help, help us encourage each other and be good guides and good friends to one another. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today uh, we're going to talk about various things. All right. Uh, it's not 2024, but I do have some thoughts I do want to share. Some biblical. Uh, none of them, I think, uh, unbiblical, but there are some thoughts that are extra biblical, if you get the distinction. So we're going to talk about a number of things. I've got here on your piece of paper uh, some tools and books at the, at the top. Uh, I would recommend reading the Bible this next year. Uh, I did put that first, uh, and we will use it today. Uh, there's a tool called Obsidian. It's a great tool. It's You can use it for making notes, for using to-do lists. It is a tool I use uh, daily for various things, and it will come up at various times in our discussion. I showed it once to Michael this year. Uh, I took the route of showing him, giving him the, the uh, overload version, and so I think I scared him away. Um, it, has, it actually has a very easy on-ramp. If anybody wants to learn how to use it, I'll help you. And not the way that I help Michael. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to talk a little bit about a book which we've talked about before, How to Read a Book, Adler and Van Doren. It's a good book. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about Antonin Chertelange. We'll, we'll mention this. It's a great book as well. Uh, Neil Postman. I have mentioned this. Uh, possibly one of the most impactful books I've read in the last decade or so. It really has changed quite a bit of how I think in very useful ways. Um, James Clear, Atomic Habits. I couldn't find it this morning. I was going to bring it. That's okay. I made excellent external notes, which we'll talk about today. And so I actually don't need the book anymore. Uh, but I would like to find it because I like books. Anyway. <laughs> and then finally, a book called How to Take Smart Notes. We'll talk about note taking later. First, let's start by going to James. If you would open to James chapter 1. So a few things I want to talk about doing, thinking, um, reliance, habits, before I give you a short list of pieces of advice and things I'll learn. James, James chapter 1. We need to have a bias towards action and doing. It is a part of the Christian life. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And chapter 2, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Whenever you think about what you... We all, it's very common for us towards the end of the year to think about getting better, all right, improving things. Uh, let's just start with the very obvious notion that thinking about getting better without doing something to get better is ultimately not helpful 
and is in many ways actively harmful for ourselves. So take James' advice, right? Take James' advice. Look in the mirror, see what's wrong, and then do something. That's my first piece of advice. We should have a bias toward action, but we should not have a bias toward action without thinking. So let's turn to Acts chapter 17. If you would. There's something specific here that I, I don't think most people talk about, uh, that, we're gonna, that we are going to talk about today. This is a very common verse or set of verses to, to quote, as it should be. So Paul and Silas had been in Thessalonica, and in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. There were problems in Thessalonica. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They examined the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now keep your finger there. Turn to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter two. Verse twenty-three. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'm going to focus on one aspect of both of these. Yes. That was starting in verse 23, 2 Timothy 2, 23. Something I want to focus on which will guide us in the next part of our discussion a little bit, is when we look in verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. All right, so he's talking to Timothy here as a leader, correcting his opponents. Okay? I'm going to ask you the question. What faculty of thinking or what ability of thinking do you need to develop to be able to Correct. And if we think back to our Acts 17 passage as well. Now, the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That's one act. Here's the second one, which I think is essentially the second act. The same thing as what you've got to have in, in Timothy. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Could just anybody do this at any age, at any development level? Can how good is a first grader going to be at going and finding their opponents and critiquing them intellectually? All right. How good is a first grader going to be listening to listening to Edward? You know what? 
I'm not sure he's right. I'm going to go read through other portions of the Bible. I'm going to compare, and I'm going to think about the ideas he's saying, and I'm going to think about the ideas of Scripture, and I'm going to compare these ideas and see if these ideas are the same. All right? If you would, look at your sheet. The third bullet point... Edwin Van Doren, and we've talked about this before, they lay out four different levels of reading. Some of the children in the church have not quite made it to the elementary level yet. All right? Elementary level, this is where you learn your letters, you learn your sounds, you can just you can start reading. All right? Uh, Gladys, all right, my, my entertainment that sits in the pew in front of me, uh, has not quite made it there yet. Uh, everyone in this room has certainly made it to the elementary level. Right? We can all read. Right? Um, we would expect certainly a first grader right, to be working at this level. Right? And for a number of grades beyond that. They're going to be at that level. Uh, Samuel, are you at this level yet? You, you got this. Okay, this is good to hear. Very good to hear. <laughs> now, they also lay out three different other levels of reading. Another level could be what they would call inspectional reading. This is when, if you would basically take a book and you would look at the book and try to understand its structure. When you would say, okay, how, does, how did the author arrange this thing? All right? uh, if there's, you can often tell this from the table of contents. I see the basic subject matter of the book. I look at the table of contents. This is discussed, and this is next. Why? Oh, it's because this is to bolster this idea and so forth. All right? This is inspectional reading, and uh, is often something that is a very good activity to do, but not something you do generally in first grade. <clears throat> then there's analytical reading, which would be where you don't just read a thing, but you think about the thing, and you think deeply about the thing. You read the thing to try to pull out the ideas of that thing. All right? This would be the kind of, uh, in their description, this would be the kind of reading that you would theoretically do if you had infinite time in the book to read and think. You would just spend time, if the book is worth it, right? Reading and thinking, all right? But nobody has infinite time, so there's limits to what you can do with analytical reading. And their fourth level is comparative, all right? That's where you take a book that you do not just an elementary read of, but an analytical read of it. And then you take another book, and you do an analytical read of that, and then you compare the two. This requires you to pull, not just, not just see the words in front of your face, but requires you to pull the ideas out and compare the ideas. All right? uh, this is something that we have to do in Bible study anytime we want to say, okay, Paul uses different words than John. So I'm going to take the ideas of Paul, and I'm going to take the ideas of John and, and deal with them on the level of the idea, not the level of the words. All right? This is something that we have to ultimately graduate to. All right? When do we get it? It just depends on the person. All right? Some people might be really good at it in high school. All right? Some people might not be good at it until college. Some people might never be good at it. That can certainly happen. Uh, and this is something that you can develop throughout your lifetime. All right? uh, this is not a stagnant ability. This is, something, this is a skill that, even as adults, we work on. I bring this up related to Acts, all right, and to 2 Timothy, because that's essentially what you need. If you take the 2 Timothy example, if you're going to correct someone's thought, all right, 
You have to be able to hear what they say or read what they write, understand it, and compare it to what is the truth and correct or not. Maybe it's correct. Right? So you don't need to correct it. This is the exact same activity that the Bereans would have to do, all right? Because they wouldn't have a New Testament, and so they wouldn't have a New Testament for them to compare Paul's words to and go, let's see if this is what, you know, James said. They would have to read the Old Testament and go, just think about it, this would be a hard test. We have our we have our 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 Septuagint and Berea, right? We have our Greek Old Testament, and they're saying new things. Are these things consistent with what the Bible says, right? In the Greek Old Testament, this would this this requires way more than just the ability to read. This requires the ability to read, absorb, live, abstract, and then compare. And so for you, all right, not only should you do, but you should also think and practice your thinking muscle, all right, for 2024. It's something that we can work on just like we can work on being better at doing entire, our entire life. I have a quote here for you. Fourth bullet point under you must think. This is uh, from Sir Toulange. He is a French dude. You might know uh, up at the top, he wrote The Intellectual Life. That's of uh, this book. Uh, A.G. Sertelange O.P. You might know what O.P. stands for? Catholic something. Catholic something, correct. <laughs> He's a Dominican. He's a Dominican philosopher. So what does O.P. stand for? In order preachers. Essentially, Dominican order is, is a preaching order. Mendicant preachers walk around. Uh, that would be the Society of Jesus. Right, that would be the Jesuits. Um, okay, so he's, this, this is a great book. It is not what a writer says that is of the first importance to us. I mean, that's actually, this is written before Adler and Noren here. Um, that's elementary reading is what the author says. The important thing is what is, all right? Reality. Our mind has the task not of repeating, but of comprehending. That is, we must take with us, cum prehendra, where we get comprehend, it's Latin term. We must vitally assimilate what we read, and we must finally think for ourselves. When we have heard the words, there's your elementary reading, we must, after the author, and perhaps thanks to him, but in the last resort, independently of him, compel our own soul to re-express them. We must recreate for our own use the sum total of knowledge. Right? What's that? It is excellent. Because that is what you have to do when you read a thing. You don't want to read a thing and just go boom, into your head. All right? That is often exactly how you get heresy in your head. Right? Um, you want to read a thing and you want to think about the thing to understand the thing. And then when you understand the thing, it's going to stick better anyway. So when you read, all right, you, you've got to constantly be working on your skills to go past your elementary reading skills to see arguments as a whole and see flow of sequence of thought, your inspectional reading. Really understand works, understand them deeply if they're worth reading, all right? If it's not worth reading, then maybe not, all right? Um, it, it's totally fine to have recreational reading. I'm rereading a fantasy novel that I read in high school called The Sword of Shinara. Um, it's not worth a deep, deep thinking. It's nice 
fun, nostalgic fantasy. It's great. Anyway, it's, it's not worth this. It's certainly not worth this. Worth this. Um, analytical reading is deep reading, and some things are worth that. And then comparative reading. For Circulange, he's you've got to read deeply, and you've got to read widely if you read more of the book. Another thing I want you to think about in terms of thinking, and this is really where um, Postman has been very useful for me. The medium affects the message. How we are obliged to conduct conversations will have the strongest possible influence on what ideas we can conveniently express. And what ideas are convenient to express inevitably become the important content of a culture. Right? I think this is certainly, certainly true. Right? The medium, let's help me out, kids. Medium, what does the medium mean? Here it doesn't mean small versus large in the middle, or right? it doesn't mean someone who talks to dead people. What is a medium in this case? Yes. For example, if you were to paint on, well, no, if you were to paint and you had a color paint, I suppose it would be a medium. Exactly. Exactly right. Very good. A medium is your mode of communication. All right. In painting. Uh, that would be a lot. That would be in the paint, and also what you're painting on as well, right? Medium in terms of words would mean spoken books and so forth. Uh, like in here, uh, I've got a number of examples here. All right, take the dialogue. All right, Socrates uh, had a bias against books. All right, he had a bias towards dialogue. He liked to talk through things with people. Plato clearly did not follow Socrates in this because he wrote down Socrates, but still. <laughs> Glad you did, right? Big fan of books. So dialogue is different, though, than a book, all right? Uh, I can't talk back to Neil Postman. He's dead, all right? It's unfortunate. This was written before the Internet, by the way. Uh, he goes as far as TV, and it's a fun intellectual activity to think what Neil Postman would think about social media, um, and generally the Internet and how and what it does. Books are different than dialogue. You can't talk back to people in books, all right? Uh, then there was the telegraph, all right? Um, news of the day, not possible, really, if you're in, you know, ancient Rome, all right? But when you do, once you get the telegraph, you can put news all the way across the country and actually get news from all over the place that doesn't pertain to you. It's great. Radio, TV, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, YouTube, Twitter, X, all right? Instagram, all of these are different mediums, and they absolutely affect their message. All right, um, you need to understand that. All right, because some messages, there, some mediums, therefore, are very bad. All right, very bad places to get some of your information, because the medium will affect the message. If we go to the extreme forms of the very small soundbite of Twitter, which I use, um, X, it's to me, one of the worst possible places to get information about the news. All right. So I have unfollowed everyone, everything related to news and current politics. Not interested at all, because uh, I think it, the medium destroys the value of most of what goes on there. Personal feelings there. So understand what medium you're using affects things. Audiobooks, not the same thing as books. All right. I, I listen to audiobooks all the time. I might. I'm, 
very frequent consumer of audiobooks. But if it's an audiobook that I go, wow, this content is really good, I will always get a print version of the book and think through it better. All right? Not all books are worth that. But that's how I work. All right? It's a lot easier to consume the information. Uh, reading, uh, listening to The Sword of Shannara would be totally fine. All right? Um, but if I listen to a good book and go, I need that. Atomic Habits, great book. First listen to it. And then I thought, I really want to think through this. I bought it. There are different mediums. And some mediums are harder or easier to consume and better for certain purposes. All right? Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with any of those, though I don't guess we use telegraphs much anymore. So think about that. All right? If you think about certain things like YouTube, the YouTube algorithms bias towards certain things. That means it affects how people make videos. That means it affects what you see. Therefore, the medium absolutely affects the message that you'll see on YouTube. Read this book. It's so good. So good. So think about that when you're thinking. All right? Go beyond just reading. Go to thinking. All right? Absorb, rethink, and restate. Something that Sotolange made, the statement he made there, is crucial for note-taking, good note-taking. Don't just write down what is said. Write down what you have processed. And we'll get more into note-taking. And then finally, recognize the medium that you are consuming affects the message. There's actually no way of getting around that. Just totally read postman. Yes? Someone who's totally blind has no other resort than to hear a book read. Mm -hmm. Even then, it can be affected by whoever's reading it. There's a concept called interpretive reading. Yeah. And someone else might read it but a little different and affect the understanding. That's true. Actually, I'm on this trip, I complained to Catherine several times. I was listening to an audio book. <laughs> and you mispronounced all the Greek and Latin words. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> But that's a little bit different than what you're saying, but you're right. Yes. Interpretive readings can make a, a big difference. Positive or negative. Turn to First Thessalonians, if you would. When it comes to thinking, I strongly recommend, and many things that we'll be talking about in a minute, all right, I strongly recommend that you do not go alone. All right? First Thessalonians chapter 5. Think about the, the communal aspect of these verses. First Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All, right? all of that is group talk, right? See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Be like the Bereans. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Much of what we need to do in the Christian life relies on others, and we should embrace that. All right. The uh, American ethos of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is terrible spiritual advice. All right. Absolutely terrible spiritual advice. Um, we exist as a body. All right. Uh, and we exist as a body to help one another. 
right? Might be good advice for work, maybe sometimes, but this is not how the church functions. We exist as a group. You should absolutely rely on others in your doing and in your thinking. All right? Absolutely rely on others in your doing and your thinking. Uh, it's People are great for pointing out your blind spots, all right? Which means you need to be around people who are willing to do so. Um, and also, and, and this is um, this is going to be less a topic of the Bible because at the time the tools are very rudimentary, but for a lot of your meditation and for your thinking, uh, you should rely on tools. All right. If we think about the best tool that they had at the time was the book. Uh, did they use books? Yes. Rarely. Right? Because books were not very readily available. All right. We know Paul had access to books and scrolls. He mentions it. Right. Uh, and we know that they were in the synagogues and whatnot. But it's not like everybody was walking around with a day journal and able to just write notes. All right? I'm, I'm going to read this other book. Well, they wouldn't have that. And I'm going to write in my day journal. Nope, those are too expensive. You didn't have any of those tools. Uh, today we have much better tools. All right? Rely on the tools. All right? And rely on other people in your thinking. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Last category here until we get into some particular areas. Um, these are just about habits, and this is definitely extra biblical, but I think it's true. Uh, good and bad, you are what you repeat. You should be far more concerned with the current trajectory than your current results. Your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. You can apply that intellectually. You can apply that to exercise. You can apply that to food. You can apply that to your friends. You can apply that all over the place. All right? Bad habits make time your enemy. Good habits make time your ally. All right? And here's this is a really good one for me. I found this one very useful. Um, to get started, do something for two minutes. All right? What you'll find is, if you're like, you know what, I feel like I should read the Bible every day. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can set aside an hour every day to study. Okay. Set aside two minutes. All right? Because what you will find is, A, establishing the habit itself is... Is, is good. And B, uh, the biggest problem is the inertia of getting started. You will find on a lot of these things, once you start it and you go, all right, my timer for two minutes went off, it's easy for me because I'm still going to do this for five minutes, 10, 15 minutes. So if you don't read the Bible every day, okay, just do it every day for two minutes and see where that goes. And then just gradually work it up over time. I would recommend using a habit tracker. Obsidian is a really good tool for that. Uh, I would love to talk to anybody about that if they want to later. Uh, no, no, no slides. I can't show you pictures. But seriously, would love to talk to anybody about any of the tools or books later. Um, another good advice I think is do certain activities in particular places. Environment matters. If possible, one space, one use. Uh, well, during COVID, I separated my workspace from my 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 fun place, all right? I, I, had, I was working in the study and also relaxing in the study, and it messed with my relaxing. And then I put a table in our bedroom in the corner, and I'm like, this is terrible. I hate this, too. And so eventually I created a little workroom within my study. It's a little isolation chamber of sorts. And that's where I work. I don't play there. I don't relax there. I work there. And it's right outside where I relax, but that's okay. That's where I work, all right? And it's it's separated. Having the environment 
separated really helps a lot, I find. Now let's jump into some uh, application. All right. Let's talk about thinking, and then we'll talk about doing in various ways. The value of reading is what you get out of it, not the activity. Don't set a goal, in my opinion, of reading 50 books in 2024. All right. Read a few things that are good well. That is a better goal. All right? Now, having a read-through-the-Bible plan in a year is not a bad plan. All right? Uh, that's doable. It's, it, takes some, it takes a little bit of time every day, but it's doable. Um, I find that when I put myself on plans where I have to get so much done reading, I don't spend enough time thinking. All right? And so um, a mixture of the two is often going to be good for people. All right. But if it's something hard, I don't want to read through that thing quickly. All right. Some parts of the Bible are really easy to read through quickly. Some things are not. And other books follow the same pattern. So, all right. Remember, focus. Even if you have a, a goal plan, of, I'm going to read this much material, this many pages a day. The activity is not the goal. Putting a book in your face is not the goal. All right. Unless it's pure relaxation reading and you're reading the sort of Shinar. All right. For me, I have no goals other than just chill. All right. And that's totally fine. But if you're reading for something other than just pure fun, then think about what you're trying to get out of it, not just the activity itself. Um, for important reading, set a time or a schedule. All right. If you want to do your Bible reading every day, do it at a set time. Creating set times and set patterns helps. Exercising, I find the same true for me. If I, I'm off my walking, my rucking in the morning schedule right now, I was really consistent about it. I need to get back on it and stick with it because then it's easy to do. All right? Same with reading. Set a time, set a schedule. Right. When you're reading or thinking, whether this is Bible or something else, take notes. All right? But think of notes not as facts I'm going to want to remember later, but use notes as a thinking tool. All right? Think back to search launch. It is good to be able to have something to put quotes in, all right, for you to use later. That's actually genuinely valuable. But the most value, not valuable thing about notes is not a place to write down what they say, but a, but a place to think through and write down your analysis of the thing. That is much more valuable. Now, some people put their notes in books. All right, I used to entirely do that. I still put occasionally put notes in books, but I don't very much anymore. Because they're like, hey, I'm reading the book. The notes are here. All right. Uh, I'm personally convinced this is a very terrible way of doing note taking. Then what I moved, because as you do, you move and you do things. Um, I, I have this little journal, all right, that I used to do. Uh, it's my, it was called bullet journaling was the method, if you're interested in it. Uh, I don't use it anymore. Here's actually my notes on Postman, on the Amusing Ourselves to Death. Uh, these were at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. I'm like, I want analog. I don't want to go to the computer for my note taking. I want to write things down in a notebook, all right? If you're that way, then by all means, do that. But then, after you've made a lot of notes, try to use them. And then realize, wait, I have my notes scattered through all these little bound notebooks. I can't use them very well. And then once you've gotten past that and go, wow, this 
this is not ideal, then talk to me. <laughs> we'll use an electronic tool, all right? It's called Obsidian, and there's other tools like it um, that will take you to another level. So if you don't like electronic tools, go ahead. Do it analog, feel the pain, and then let's chat about it. Now, um, in terms of note-taking, we don't have time. Good. In terms of note-taking, um, like I said, a lot of people use books. A lot of people use note notebooks. All right. Um, throughout time, people have realized that this is a this is a poor choice actually for doing notes because it's hard to link notes of related things across time. Right? You read Postman. You 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 take notes about Postman. Then a year later, after you finish that journal, you read another book. It has related things. How do you link the two? It's a problem. This guy, Sir Talange, he actually talks about it. Uh, his idea, and he's not the only one to propose this, is to use uh, put ideas on note cards, all right, and then organize your note cards, all right. Uh, this, I think, basically every every note card is an idea, all right. You catalog them, you organize them because they're independent. They can be treated independently, all right, um, which is really great, all right. But it's also very annoying when there are electronic tools that work a lot better. But if you don't use electronic tools and you just must write things down, um, he actually has a system for that. You'll also find in books like this how to take smart notes. Okay. Uh, in, the in, in the Obsidian community, there is an obsession with, I think he's a sociologist. His name is Nicholas Luhmann. He's a German guy. And he used a note card system as well. It's, it's simple. Yet a little overwhelming, um, but it's another way of that would work really well. Or just use a digital note-taking tool. Um, if, what, one, sometimes what I do when I read a book is I have a notepad and I will totally write things in. All right, I totally do that still. And then what I do is I wait a little while, rethink through my notes, and then transfer them into Obsidian. That's a much that works really well. You get the analog stuff. Right, because you don't always want to sit with a book and a computer on your lap. All right, I'm, when I'm in my reading chair with a book in my hand, the laptop is not convenient. So sometimes I'll have my notepad and I'll write my notes there and do that second stage of processing, which is very helpful in thinking through ideas and notes. Would you I was just to say this was from I think um, Mandorin and Adler, but years ago, mm -hmm. and, and I, I still do it somewhat. But if you're going to read a book. You, know, you mark in the book mm -hmm. and write your notes, but in the back mm -hmm. here, I've yeah. got the page yeah. number, and it's it's kind of it depends on what kind of book it is, but it's nice because sometimes I'll remember and I could go grab that book, like, man, I can't remember, and I'll look back there and it's like mm -hmm. I'll have like page 147, mm -hmm. excellent discussion on law, and yeah. Like, yeah, that's where that was from. And if I go back, I can kind of look on that back page and I can sort of like almost reactivate that, whatever I got out of that in my brain. Totally. And if you're going to write in books, what he's talking about, you know, is generally most books have blank pages at the front and the beginning. They never use them. He's like, go write down thoughts, right? Create your own outline, put it in there. So, yeah, I used to do that. I just now put them in an external tool. And so now that I've lost my Atomic Habits book, I haven't lost my 
But that kind of activity is a good note-taking activity, and it should be done. So take notes, all right? And, and use them as a thinking tool, all right? Thinking through things, analyzing, going, I read this book, right? If, you, if every book you read, you always agree with, then you're probably not thinking well enough about them, unless you're just, I don't know, if you're just reading fiction. All books will have something to disagree with. Disagree with. Do your do your own thinking, as Sir Collins would say. Right? Um, do your reading, if at all possible, or as often as possible, with someone else or in a group. All right. I get great value out of book clubs. All right. We have one going at work um, right now. We're reading through Machiavelli's The Prince. It's fantastic because there's one guy in there that uh, has more background on. Uh, Renaissance Italy than I do. And so it's really great having having him in there. Um, the previous thing we read through was Plato's Republic. Plato's Republic is way easier to read through with somebody else because it's long and there's some difficult spots on it. Uh, it was a great book club. All right. Find people to do this with. All right. Uh, I was trying to get into a book club to read Augustine City of God this spring, but the book club filled up and I couldn't join it. So that makes me really sad. That also means my I have more free time. So if anybody has any great Christian books or any other great books, otherwise they want to read and want to like, hey, I'd love to work through this thing, all right, with somebody else, just let me know. I'm all for it. Uh, I'm not teaching in paths this semester. I have more free times. Can totally read books with people if anybody is interested in doing so. Uh, it helps for two reasons. One, uh, if you if you read books and you're not just trying to pass the time, you're really trying to pull out the ideas, the discussion really helps. All right. And then when you're confused about something, you have somebody else you can talk to about it. All right. And you can ask them questions. It really ups your ability to uh, work through the book. And also, um, usually when you do these, you have to set a schedule of like my current book club, we meet every Tuesday at noon over lunch. It's a video call, and so we take two or three chapters of the prints and discuss it. And whenever this is done, which won't be too much longer, we'll start another book. Who knows what it will be? But find some people to read books with, all right? I'm open if anybody, uh, because I got rejected. <laughs> I'm open if anybody wants to, to read. Uh, create groups. Um, but don't create perpetual plans and don't create perpetual groups, all right? Because then people feel like if I join this thing, I'll be trapped. Say, you know what? We're going to read the prints. And when we're done with reading the prints, we're going to be done. And then we'll revisit to see if we want to do it again. All right? It gives people an easy out. You, let's, it's less pressure. This also applies to uh, New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions are a terrible idea. Almost nobody can get, do something for an entire year. I don't ever make plans anymore on a year basis. It seems like a terrible plan to me. I usually try to say, I'm going to do this thing for a month. Maybe think on the level of the quarter. All right. I got a lot going on. Maybe this spring less. But I got a lot going on. It's, it's, it's not that hard for me to do something consistently for 30 days. It is very hard sometimes for me to do something for 365 days. Do you, do you know about the acronym SMART? Goals, mm -hmm. yeah. So they're, um, I, do, I couldn't remember, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really super useful. Because yep. I think, especially for New Year's resolutions, they tend to be kind of vague. Like, 
I will be more fit by the end of the year. And it's like, what does that mean for you exactly? How are you going to achieve that? And I think the, the time bound part is also really useful. So I use with my writing group, I run a writing group at Rice and we use these goals every week and we have um, weekly SMART goals and then we have semester long SMART goals. And so usually there's like three to five semester long big picture items. Like I will have finished a whole chapter by the end of the semester or I will have scheduled my defense by the end of the semester. But then week to week, it's like, I will send this email to my dissertation committee. I mean, very specific things you can do. I will have graded 10 essays by the end of, like, and then we go through them at the beginning of the writing group. And if we celebrate together people who, you know, completed their goals, and then if they didn't complete it, we roll that over to the next week. And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, your week was weird, but yeah. you need to do it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. That is fantastic. And this, yes, this is a good, the SMART rubric is a great rubric for thinking about goals. Time bound, not a year, right? Much smaller time bound. But yeah, I think that's really good. Groups help me a lot too. Um, there are many books I, I would not have finished if I didn't have somebody to read them with. So don't make perpetual plans or groups. Give people easy ins and easy out. And for your personal stuff, don't make too long plans. It's really hard to keep with them, right? Have a good system for review. All right, I use Obsidian. It's very good for task management and review for these sort of things. Um, it's, it's super great for that. I have a system for review. We'll share it with anybody if anybody wants to chat about it. Prayer. Some ideas here. And I do this also with Obsidian. I have a to-do list that gets generated for me every day. There's very few things on it. One of them is a time of meditation and prayer. Pray, the, pray or read this, the Proverbs. Pray the Psalms. All right. I have a list of people that I pray for on a regular cadence, and I use Obsidian for that. And also have a list of prayers that I make for myself, that I make sure I pray for myself every day. I don't, I, it's, it's just, every day I hit a button, boom, I have my list, and that's in there, it's a reminder for me to do that. And I hope anybody sets something up if they want something like that. And because you're running out of time, practices, all right? Be active at, at church. Don't just come to church. Be active at church. All right? Talk with people. Spend time with people. All right? There's other activities we do other than Sunday morning. Join us sometimes. Uh, worship God. All right? Do that at church. But do that elsewhere too. All right? Worship God is not a here thing. It is a what we should be doing all of the time. Rejoice always and give thanks. I have in my daily note. Obsidian. Block, block at the top, something to give thanks for. It's a good thing to practice. Do something good for someone without them asking. Just do it. Build relationships systematically. Uh, this is actually something I worked, I, I learned from work. Uh, we have, as part of the leadership team, uh, we have a practice of building business relationships of every, every essentially every month, everybody on the leadership team and, and on sales. We have to contact 20 people and just talk to them. It's not explicitly salesy. It's just like, no, they want us in the community, talking to people, building friendships. My, my bosses are smart. They know there's value in that. So we do it systematically. Uh, I, it's, it's, a part of my, it's a part of my personal review at work. If I don't do those, it hurts me because they think it's that important. Uh, you could also take the same approach 
all right, to helping people and about people in the church. One way is, like I said, having a list of people in the church you pray through, all right? You don't have to pray for everybody every day. It's fine. Break it up into days. Certain days you pray for certain people, all right? Be systematic. Build relationships, all right? Reach out to people. Spend time with them. Uh, this is something I could I could do better at as well. And then finally, commit to righteousness daily, all right? Every day, you need to make a point of saying, today, I am going to do what's right, all right? Today, I'm not going to be a slave of sin. Today, I'm going to pray. Today, I'm going to read the scriptures. Today, I'm going to give thanks. Today, I'm going to do something good for someone. Today, I'm going to love God and love man. Commit to do that daily. All right? It's also a part of my daily to-do list. <laughs> but it's a reminder. I get every day. And if I don't do it, it's because I explicitly chose not to that day. And that's a mistake. All right? I always get that reminder. Just some thoughts for 2024. You can make New Year's resolutions if you want to. I'll only judge you a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't think it's the right way to go. But do in 2024. Commit every day to being better. Commit to being better. All right? Commit to loving God more. That's obedience. And commit to loving your neighbor more. Anybody want to talk about any of this stuff? All right? Any of these books in these schools? Anybody want to start a book club? Let me know. Let's talk about it. Any questions, thoughts before we dismiss? I'm in the process of reading Scott Adams' new book, Reframing Your Brain, the mm -hmm. User Interface for Success and Happiness. Mm -hmm. And a reframe, I've talked about this before, but it's the same idea, but just from a different angle. It's a reframe. And one of the reframes in there that I think was it's helpful for me is this like, if you want to do something, you'll never do it. It's when you decide. And it's like everything, it's like as long as you want to do it, you'll do it for a little while. But when you decide, it'll happen. Yeah. And then when you put other people on the hook to make sure you stick with it. <laughs> That decision point is important. I, I totally agree with you. Right? As Paul says, reckon yourselves slaves of righteousness. That's a thought fit. It's a decision. That's a decision making thing. You think that. Any other thoughts? Jenny, you please pray for Thank you for a new year. Pray that you help us to pursue righteousness and to better ourselves during this year. Father, we thank you for encouragement and for other Christians to walk with. Pray that you bless us and bless our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen.